Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello and welcome to yet another episode on the ongoing saga of Ayers on, on the Road. And we are on the road. We're, we're uh, podcasting or broadcasting, depending on how you look at it, from Moscow in Russia tonight. And we're in an incredible hotel. We, we're going to tell you a little about where we are and why we're here before we get into today's subject matter. I will tell you that we're going to take a little break in our ongoing series on the eight myths of marriage. We'll pick up with myth number six next broadcast. But for today, we've just got some other things, that, some observations about families in different parts of the world that might be helpful to all of us, things we can learn from each other. But first of all, let us set the stage for you because we're in quite an interesting spot tonight. We are. We are in Moscow. We have been here one other time. It was 18 months ago. We met our daughter and son-in-law and baby, their baby here, and it was freezing cold. Oh, wow, we were out on Red Square all bundled up with everything we could find to bundle up with. But now, here it is, midsummer, and it is absolutely stunning. It is so wonderful. And hot. We actually got hot actually, today. Actually, it was hot today, yeah. But we're staying in a hotel that some of you might have some reckoning with. It's called the Metropole Hotel. It's a, it's a, it was built in 1905, and it was here and survived the Russian Revolution. In fact, it became a headquarters for the Bolsheviks when they took over the government. But one of, I would say, maybe my favorite novel that I've read, and you, I don't know, I'll let you I speak I love for it yourself, too. I just finished it for the second time. It's, it's called A Gentleman in Moscow by a guy named Amor Tolls, and it is the most interesting premise. It's about a count, a Russian count, a member of the aristocracy, who left Russia when he could see the Bolsheviks taking over and went to Paris, but then ended up coming back to get his mother out of Russia. And making a long story short, he got put under house arrest and was confined to the Metropole Hotel and then was here for 40 years. If he went outside the hotel, he'd be shot. So the, the premise of the novel, and it is a novel, but there's a lot of fact in it, is the telling of the story of the Russian Revolution through the eyes of this count, who's a wonderfully articulate, uh, erudite, sophisticated man, observing the changes in his country from inside the hotel. And you may say, well, how much could he see from in there? He saw a lot because this became the headquarters for the Bolsheviks. He listened in on things. He eventually became a head waiter just so he could know more what was going on. I won't tell you any more. It'll ruin the story. But, but when we decided we were coming to Russia to speak to a group that we'll talk about in a minute, we said, well, could you put us in the Metropole Hotel? And we were delighted to be here. So here we are in this wonderful hotel that's the basis for this wonderful novel. It really is a magnificent, one of the most beautiful historic hotels in the world. And it is so delightful. We have heavy curtains and a, it's old world. a special little nook for our bed with curtains that close with bows at the top. And it really is quite extraordinary. We promise we're going to get to parenting and family, but just by way of background, 
a lot of you listeners know us reasonably well, and you know that we do a lot of traveling, always to speak to other parents and always to address groups that, that have read one of our books or for whatever reason want us to come. And like you mentioned, Lynn, up until a year ago, a year and a half ago, we had traveled to over 100 countries, but we'd never been to Russia. Here's this huge country we'd never set foot in. And uh, then we came a year and a half ago in the winter, and now we're back speaking to a group of entrepreneurs, wonderful young entrepreneurs. And what's so interesting about their families is that <laughs> these, these are people who are mostly in their late 30s or their 40s. And so they grew up before the wall came down and before free enterprise had entered Russia in any form. And so all of them grew up poor, literally all of them. Their parents were poor. Their parents were under communist rule. Well, they were just assigned occupations and they were just Had no the choice in life. Workers. Right. So they might have been engineers or doctors, but they were poor because everyone in Russia was poor. And um, except maybe the, you know, the, those who were skimming. And so all these interesting entrepreneurs who are now quite wealthy they're in a different family situation than we've ever seen. Most of them only have one child because the norm in Russia prior to the wall coming down was one child. Well, and most of them, their parents were only children. Their parents well were also they, only children. They couldn't afford to have more than one child. They were starving. Right. People were starving in those days. It was really sad. And so we've never been with a large group of parents where they have the kind of interesting situations and issues that these parents do. They've mostly got one child. Some are now having two. Yeah, and, and even and one had three. One, one's now, which was very rare in Russia. But they're not only worried about taking care of their children and how their money or their affluence is affecting their children, whether those kids are getting entitlement attitudes. They're also worried about their parents because the parents who grew up poor and now they have this son or daughter who's done well and who now has money and the first thing they want to do naturally because they love their parents is buy them a house buy them some cars give them the things they've never had the luxuries they've never known and then soon they start taking them for granted and like could you get me a flight to so-and-so at this time? And no, I can't go that time. And so what we have now is a generation of entitled grandparents. Right. That, that have been given everything by their children because their children now have substantial funds. And it really was fascinating to talk with them. They're giving money to their parents and they're giving money to their children and both are entitled. And these people have companies and so on. So like you say, Linda, the, Neither the parents or the children want to do anything for themselves. Book me a flight, get me a car, do this for me. And so they're in the middle of this sandwich where they've got entitlement on both sides. They're sandwiched and by entitlement. <laughs> it really is interesting. But what fine people they are. They're really wonderful parents. And kind of a different ilk than we've been speaking to because obviously other chapters of this group have more children to deal with. And they haven't had this parent problem. In fact, what we started this is we were talking about not entitling children having earned their own way and get their own things uh, with what they've earned and so on. And uh, 
One of them raised his hand and said, it's my parents that have the entitlement problem because I bought them a house and I bought them cars. Right. And then, (laughs) aha, how many of you have that situation? And so many. They all raised their hand. So many. It was quite incredible. I think the only other place we've run into anything remotely like that is in China for very different reasons. As you all know, China had the one-child policy for a while, so in a lot of cases there, they just have one child, and they're they're also the first generation to exist in their country with free enterprise and the ability to actually start companies and earn money and so on. So they're doing the same thing in some cases. They're sandwiched between the, the children they've entitled by giving them too much and the parents they've entitled by giving them too much. And it's such an interesting perspective because these are fairly young people, so most of them, their parents are still alive on both sides. So a typical family is you've got four grandparents, two parents, and one child. And in China, of course, they call it the little emperor syndrome, and you'll you'll be walking through a park or whatever in, in Beijing or in Shanghai, and you'll see a little kid walking along with six adults around him, yeah. four grandparents and two parents, waiting on him hand and foot. What do you want? What can we do for you? So the ratio of kids to adults is different than anything you've ever imagined. And these kids are incredible, they're beyond entitlement. They are, they expect everything to be handed to them. Well, it's just always so fascinating to experience different cultures. It's so interesting because right next door to the hotel is a new museum on the War of 1812. And it's not the one you're thinking of. It's the one of 1812 here in Moscow when Napoleon came in and took over with 690,000 soldiers. By the end of the war, there were a couple of hundred thousand left. That was terrible. And uh, the Red Square was on fire when they finally came in, and the merchants realized they were not going to be able to take their goods with them, so they started their, their shops on fire, and then it just spread through everything. It really it was an amazing museum. There's so much world history. I love history now. I used to hate history in high school. <laughs> you know, education is wasted on the young. <laughs> now I love We should to, go back, back to, to college and major in Russian history. It's fascinating. But, you know, it's just the thing we've said on this show before is, you know, we go out on these speaking tours and book signing tours and so on, and we're supposedly the teachers who are going to give people advice and help on their parenting and on their marriages and so on. We end up learning more than we teach in so many cases and uh, particularly here in Russia now there's just a vibrance because imagine being the first generation in hundreds of years to have freedom to be able to go where you want do what you want earn money if you want. And then having lived through the, the wall coming down and then the whole culture changing as far as free enterprise and these entrepreneurs i mean no one had heard of entrepreneurs or it was against the law it was to against be an the law you start a business they'll put you in jail right until 1991 and then everything changed and you remember your gorbachev and your yeltsin and the wall coming down and free enterprise getting in and the creation of these oligarchs some of the richest men in the world who were in the right place at the right time and the government is owned all the industry. Now they're privatizing it and 
some people made off with big, big chunks of it. <laughs> well, so now the free enterprise is at its finest in Moscow. Wow, we were just walking or worse, through the malls. Depending on how you look Better at or worse, it. but it is gorgeous because it's new and it's beautiful. And they've done it so tastefully. It's clean. We really recommend anybody who wants to have a vacation come to Moscow. But what, what else can we learn from Russian parents? Because for one thing, they're really devoted to their children. Boy, they, 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 you could argue they could, they could afford to be because they only have one or two kids. But the devotion and the desire to do right by them, it's almost overwhelming. It becomes their biggest problem because they, like we mentioned, they try to do too much for their kids. And we're comparing that with England. We came here from England where we've been with our daughter who lives there with, with our son-in-law and, and our two little grandsons, Moses and Gabriel. And we've had a great time with them, but the difference in parenting and families in England is just incredible. It's it's like one of those things where you you've entered a time warp and everything is so different. And and of course in Britain you've got this tremendous backlog of parenting culture, which is all about politeness and properness and courtesy and fine education and wearing little uniforms to school and so on. Well, one of the most fascinating things I learned before we go to break here, I have to say, the kids don't go to school until they're seven years yeah, old. Yeah. They don't enter a school. I they mean, might they have a preschool or a play whatever. school, but no serious school, no, no serious academics until age, seven. until age seven. And a lot of the kids in England, including our little grandson, basically starting when he's three years old. And you know, you don't want to make a judgment there because there's advantages to both. I mean, you know of studies that basically show that when you start late, you catch up in a big hurry. So we're going to talk a little more about families in England, and we're going to tell you where we're going on the rest of this speaking and writing tour right when we come back after this brief message on Ayers on the Road. Be right back. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back with Ayers on the Road, and we are broadcasting from Moscow in Russia. We are having the best time. We're learning so much, and we're in a, an amazing spot in this beautiful city. Well, I'll just tell you where we're going next. When we leave tomorrow, we're going over to Brussels in Belgium. We, we, we love Belgium, we love a couple of cities there particularly, and we, we love the parenting habits there too. Again, it's a little different culture. Um, in this particular case, we're gonna be speaking to a large group. For those of you who are LDS, or members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, this is a speech for five stakes all around Belgium who are coming together in Brussels, and we'll be speaking to them about family relations and about parenting and about marriage. This is also kind of a, uh, you know, it's billed as a time to raise awareness of what's happening to families, particularly in Europe. Some of you may know that uh, the birth rate in most European countries, all Western European countries, is below the replacement level. The replacement level is if each woman had 2.1 children and uh, a lot of the birth rates in Europe are down below one and a half, some getting close to one. And so what that means is that 
economically speaking, the workforce is disappearing and they're more and more reliant on immigrants who come in to fill the jobs and so on. And a lot of people are very worried about that because you're losing a certain kind of your population and you're wondering how that'll affect the economy. We're worried about it because we just feel like so many people don't prioritize or value getting married or having children. It used to be assumed that that would be part of your life and part of your goals, more and more so in the Western first world, as we call it. That isn't the case anymore. It's really sad to see a lot of little cities, little villages and so on in Europe are just like ghost towns almost because they don't have the children um, in the schools, a lot of schools are closing down. It really is an important thing that they have not realized that, you know, I guess they just think having children is too hard, too expensive, too complicated, and uh, they just are not having children like they used to. So it's interesting. I mean, we, we used to think of ourselves as, in terms of our writing, as people who were writing how-to books, you know, how to be a better parent, how to have a better marriage, and we don't consider ourselves great experts, but we were trying to take the expertise we'd learned from others and package it and get it out there. But what we've realized in a lot of the world today, particularly in Europe and parts of Asia, developed Asia, we need to do more on the topic of why to. I mean, if you're assuming everyone wants to marry at some point or wants to have children at some point, you can move right to the how-tos, right? But if that's not, if that's not happening, then you know we feel like we need to start with the why twos. Here's why you should consider getting married. Here's why you should consider having children. And the basic reason boils down to it's the happiest way to live. Well, it really does. And it was interesting because so many of these families that we spoke with today in Moscow had such small families, one, two, and the max was three. I mean, three or four had three, so, you know, there Well, that's very different than even 10 years ago. But it's so different from our lifestyle and the, the culture that we've grown up in because there's always so many children. People are astonished that we had nine children. They just, did you mean to do that? Whoa, <laughs> what were you thinking? And we're, and we're not suggesting that you should measure yourself by how many children of you have. Of course not. We're just saying, you know, you ought to feel the blessing and the joy in making commitments within a family and and we've kind of adopted a, a little motto for what we do now because we, we feel like we need to be cheerleaders first before we can be advisors to the family we've got to be cheerleaders for the idea of having a family and so we have this little motto that we're, we're trying to fortify families but what's important is we're trying to do it by celebrating commitment or marriage popularizing parenting validating values and bolstering balance, the balance between work and family. And I tell you, we've really got statistics on our side, Linda, because the numbers show that married people express a higher degree of satisfaction with life, do better economically, live longer lives, and even have more fulfilling intimacy. I mean, it goes on and on. You can prove through statistics that married with children really is the happiest way to live. And yet so much of the world is so bent on independence and on keeping my options open and on living a swinger lifestyle and so on. Even though the facts don't support that as happiness, that's what we're fighting. 
Well, I thought the most interesting comment was one of the moms had to leave, and they were, they were really interested. We just gave them a whole bunch of ideas of things to do with their families and things to do with their kids and how important those things are. And after, after we'd gone through this for a long time, this one mom had to leave it a little bit early, and she stopped at the door and said, I, I appreciate what you're saying so much, and it's given me a lot of good ideas, but it sounds like parenting is a full-time job. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we're we sort of like, laugh. well, yeah, it really uh, sort of well, is. <laughs> yeah, it is. And uh, But for them, it is not a full-time job, and they're actively engaged in careers. But hopefully they thought, I need to pay a little more attention to my kids. And that this is not just, I mean, we tell them how little bit of time they have their children in their homes. And it's just a minute. It's a fifth of their life and then gone. I mean, and with, with only one or two children, is less than that. And, and you know, we, get, we, we sometimes take for granted how much we how much of our own paradigm on family and parenting and how, and how many of our priorities really come with our culture. And so, you know, like today, we, we had planned to get in, first to talk about some ideas for parenting and then to get to marriage. And we were going to talk about the eight myths of marriage, which is what we've been serializing on this radio show. But the questions, there were so many questions and so much interest in some of the parenting ideas that we actually never got to the marriage. And so we may do that on another trip here to Russia. But what was interesting, I thought, Linda, is some of these ideas are not that revolutionary, but they were brand new to these Russian parents. Like have a weekly meeting with your children and go over the schedule and go over your goals and go over your family laws. And so it's like, wow. A weekly meeting. What would you do in that meeting? How do you conduct it? How does that work? And it's like a brand new idea, or or create a family vision statement with your children. A brand new idea. Lots of questions. Or if possible, because these people had a lot of resources, you know, get them out of their bubble here in Moscow because they all live in a bubble just like many of our children do. And take them to do a service project somewhere. I mean, it could be in your own city, but it could be in Africa or it could be in India. I mean, there are other there are ways to get your children outside the bubble that really changes their lives. But I I think that had not really occurred to them because they didn't grow up in a culture like that. It was fascinating to see how kind of blown away they were by things that we take for granted because of our culture. But by the same token, again, I want to emphasize, we, we don't see ourselves as the great dispensers of wisdom on family. We learn so much, and I learned from a lot of these Russian parents today that the traditions they have in their families, the things they do together, are just amazing. I'll give you one sort of macro example. Most, I think it's safe to say most, families that live in Moscow also have what they call a country house or a dhaka. And and you might say, wow, wait, how do they have enough money to have two homes? Well, their dhakas, in most cases, are a little shack. No running water, no, no electricity. It's just a place to escape the city and get away. And they do it as a family, and it's their way to go somewhere and sort of rough it. It's really more like camping, but it's a tradition for so many families, and they have a lot of vacation time. Moscow basically closes down the first half of January and the 
first half of May for national holidays. So during those times, they're away with their families. They're doing family-centered things. And they are really family-focused in ways that a lot of Americans should admire. Well, they should, and they also have a very interesting cuisine. We have to mention that before we finish. Tonight, we ate at Dr. Zhivago, which is the most famous uh, traditional Russian food. We had borscht. We We had had borscht. We had caviar. Caviar, oh, black and red caviar. Black and red. And in pancakes, they call them pancakes, but it was crepes. And you just put the black caviar in, and you put some uh, sour cream. And then you roll it up and just eat it. And actually, the black caviar was really good. I've never been able to afford that, but there was a big bowl of it. They were just dishing it up on their little pancakes. It's much less expensive, more common caviars, like, you know, butter. (laughs) <laughs> and, yeah, and the borscht was fascinating. It was cold borscht with cucumber and quail eggs and just so many interesting things. Of course, lots of beets. Um, it really is fascinating. And they said, you know, oh, the most interesting thing, pig fat. Uh, Literally slices, big slices on a platter of pig fat. I have to say, I couldn't do it. But they just love it. It was amazing. I mean, I watched people put it on their bread and just eat it straight. And it was called, we call it lard. Um, my mom used to cook with lard because she would do the bacon and then save the fat. And ugh. But anyway, but it was we really run, good. Before we run out of time, I just had one more, you know, because we were really thinking England and Russia right now, and then we're going on to Belgium and then to Switzerland and then back to London. But I've just got England and and... and Russia on my mind and the parenting and the family structures and what we're learning from them. And again, I just, I want to say, if only Americans could be as successful as the British in teaching their children courtesy and politeness. It is just amazing when you're around these British yes, children and how respectful they are of adults, how, how communicative they are with adults their command of the English language is astounding compared to most American kids. But then you take away that exception and they're so much like any other kids. And these British parents and the Russian parents, guess what their number one worry is? Too much technology, too kids getting phones too early. And I mean, that's a worldwide problem, not even just in the first world. That's a problem in the third world where people may not have shoes or water, but they've got a cell phone. But not just the kids, too, the yeah, parents. Yeah, the parents, Because too. we had, it's, it's against the law, against the rules to have a phone in these meetings with these um, lovely people. But the second the meeting's over, they're out in the hall on their phones. I mean, yeah. we all we all abuse phones just like the kids do. I mean, because it's part of our life now. And it was really fascinating to go through some things with them about technology as well. But it's just the same all over the world. Well, we hope you don't mind that we've taken just a little break this week from our, our series that we're doing on the eight myths of marriage. We're going to get back to that next week and get to marriage myth number six. If you have missed out on the first five, we're kind of excited about this approach to marriage because, you know, rather than say you should do this or you should do that, we're basically saying don't fall into this trap because this is a myth and there are better ways to do it. And we're going to get back to that when we join you next week on ours on the road. So any final comments, Linda, on 
family life in England or in Russia? Well, I just have to say we're going to be in Brussels and Zurich next week, so we may need to do that for one more week and then go back to the mess the week after. But we'll, we'll, see. we'll we let may. you know. It'll be online. Yeah, and we appreciate that uh, many of you are listening to Ayers on the Road as a podcast. We encourage you to do that because it'll be easy for you to go back and pick up on the things that you did earlier. So, so signing off from see Moscow. You, see you next time on Ayers on the Road.